You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster and Ed Bachet. It is Monday morning, September 23rd, episode 10 of the Immaculate Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Ed Bouchet. And Ed, the Mason-Rudolph era did not get off to the start we were hoping for. That game was just it was just sloppy all around, and we'll get into it. But do you have an initial thought on, on how Sunday went down? It went down. <laughs> That's pretty much it, Tim. <laughs> uh, I thought the defense looked pretty good. I mean, five turnovers. Um, some of those had to do with... 49ers butterfingers but um you know they kept giving the ball to the offense and the offense kept doing nothing with it now you will have some struggles with a young quarterback uh making his first NFL start on the road so you have to give them that uh but the running game didn't help the blocking didn't help the receivers weren't getting open nobody helped Mason Rudolph in that first half I thought he came along much better in the second half, and so did their passing game a little bit. But uh, their running game, if you're not going to have a running game, Tim, you're they're going to see that all year long. Eight men in a box and stopping the run game and daring those receivers to get open, and they weren't Sunday. And it all equaled a 24-20 loss in a game that the Steelers had chances certainly to win, um, even though they didn't necessarily play great throughout. The report card from Mark Caboli after the game was all C's and C-minuses, which seemed to be pretty fitting. Um, you mentioned the turnovers. Uh, six points off, three turnovers just in the first half. They ended up getting the five turnovers overall, but but they just didn't do enough with it. Let's get into the offense, though, and, and Mason Rudolph to start. So his final numbers had 14 of 27, 174 yards, a couple of touchdowns late, the interception. He started, though, a lot slower than nine. Nine for his first 20 uh, for just 45 yards, and... I felt like part of that was it seemed like the game plan was very conservative, which to a degree makes sense. You said it on the road, first time starter. Although if you look across the league yesterday, Daniel Jones was on the road making his first start and the Giants kind of opened things up a little bit for him and they were able to win the game. But just evaluate Rudolph first start. Give him a grade for how he did, I guess, to start things off. Then we can get more granular. I'd give him a C. Um, the, the, the interception was terrible. He was forced out of the pocket, yep. rolling right. He should have thrown it away. Once he's out of the pocket, he's allowed to do that. Instead, he threw it into double coverage, uh, trying to force it in, and it was intercepted. Um, hey, we've seen Ben do that, too, at times. So um, that, that one pass was, was his worst one. Uh, I thought in the second half, he did really well. I mean, yeah. he hit Juju in stride on the money. And that allowed him to take it, uh, I think it was like a 10, 11, 12-yard pass, and it turned it into a 76-yard touchdown. And then the deep one to the rookie, Deontay Johnson, was also on the money. Uh, he didn't have to wait for it because he got open behind the defensive back, and Rudolph put it out there enough that he didn't have to wait for it, and it turned into what I think it was 39-yard touchdown. So um, I'd give him a C. That seems fair. Now, we're grading him, but we also have to that that is somewhat dependent on the the players around him, obviously. So you mentioned Juju had three catches, Johnson had three catches, making that first start. This receiving core right now is so young. How much tougher do you think that makes it for Rudolph as he kind of starts out on his career with these young receivers who didn't seem to be all that open on Sunday? 
Yeah, well, he had a veteran last week, and he dropped uh, <laughs> dropped a pass that may have turned that game around, Moncrief. Right. So they, they bench him. They don't activate him at all. Um, I think they're better off with the with Deontay Johnson and James Washington in there, uh, although James didn't seem like they involved him much in the offense, than they are with Moncrief. Um, I thought it was a little curious that Ryan Switzer wasn't on in the offense at all. Um People complain that, that he's, you know, only uh, catches short yardage. Well, he needed maybe he needed that last night, a little go-to guy to, to get him out of some holes, a short yardage guy over the middle out of the slot because he lost Vance McDonald. So there goes that option. You know, uh, when they're stacking eight guys around the line and daring you to throw, that tight end, especially a good one like McDonald, uh, can really help out. You know, you can throw him a short pass. Uh, he can get a few more yards, and you can get out of trouble. But once he went down with that injury, um, and Xavier Grimble dropped at least one more pass last night, uh, Sunday night, I, I just, um, they, they, they didn't give him much help. You mentioned them stacking the box with, with at least eight most of the time. And the Steelers ran some RPOs early on, some run pass option to try to um, – open that up, I guess, to a degree, but did you feel like the game plan matched up well against that defensive front, the way the Niners were stacked against them? In the second half, when they, you know, went downfield a little more, I I thought it did, but the first half, I felt like they needed to dial up some long balls. Is that on the play calling, or is that on Rudolph just in his first start being more conservative with with where he goes with the football? Yeah, I'm not sure, Tim. Um, One thing is, with, with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, when they're doing the no huddle, uh, he can call the plays. And also, he can check out of plays. I don't know that they gave Mason that kind of uh, leeway, you know, to call his own plays or to check out of plays. I would bet not. Um, so, uh, the, it was the coaches calling the plays. And, you know, maybe as they go along here, they'll, they'll allow Rudolph, especially maybe in a home game, like Monday night against the Bengals, to do a little more. But it didn't look like they did uh, Sunday in San Francisco. And, hey, look, the game plan always looks bad when when the offense doesn't move. Certainly. Uh, I'm not so sure uh, the players shouldn't get some blame also. All right, so we mentioned the rushing game. That was a struggle, too. Currently, this kind of blows my mind currently fourth worst rushing team in football which seems to go against what the Steelers kind of just known for being a physical team over the year 64 yards per game so they had more than that on Sunday uh, 22 carries for 79 yards uh, James Conner had 13 for 43 yards they obviously had to deal with a defense that was focused on stopping the run um, should they be able to do better than they did regardless or is that all you can expect from a team when the defense is stacked against it well, um, you have to be able to, when you, when a defense is stacked like that, it's tough to run. It's no doubt. Yeah. So you have to be able to throw it a little bit or, or do some screens. You know, uh, they did do an end around. that got some some yards. Um, some other yards came from Rudolph scrambles. Um, you know, that, that, that stat you just said by James Conner is not enough. Uh, but you're going to have to, if they're going to come up like that, you have to throw the ball to loosen them up, and um, they weren't able to do that. 
One quote that kind of stood out to me, Ed, was uh, Ramon Foster after the game. He said, what we are dealing with right now is our identity, and it takes some time. He went on to say that, you know, Mason is going to grow, our offense going to grow. What we can't do is panic and overdo stuff. But the Steelers have always been a franchise that had an identity, and it seems um, troubling that at this point, three games into a season, that's a, it's an issue with this team. And it's certainly, I guess, before they're going to start winning games, they're going to have to figure out who they are. Well, they have to. <laughs> they just have to be effective on them. You know, they went from the most, one of the most powerful offenses and productive offenses in the NFL to this. And you just mentioned a stat. Not only are they 29th in rushing, um, I think they're about 26th overall as an offense. Uh, it, it has swung back to the defense. You know, we've, we've seen this team go from its strength was defense to then its strength was offense while they rebuilt the defense. And now it looks like the strength is back on defense. Um, the offense, I, I don't know if it's fixable, Tim. I, I don't know at this point. You know, um, they have... Uh, receivers who aren't getting open, their running backs, uh, well, they're not running, and maybe they have no room to run, but the, their running game is not working. And then when it, they had a chance to put the game away, the, Connor fumbles again. You know, that's the third time in a couple of years he's cost them a game, or cost them a win. Uh, going back to Cleveland last year and in, in Denver the year, that year. Um, so they... they uh, they have a lot of work to do on offense, and with all respect to Ramon, they don't have time because this season is quickly getting away from them. They're going to play an entire season. Uh, if they lose to Baltimore in two weeks, it's over. Yeah, uh, and they're going to take, take play the rest of the season for a high draft pick. Except now they don't have one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We'll get that too. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, they don't have time. Uh, first 0 and 3 starts since 2013. They were 0 and 4 that year and actually finished 8 and 8. Um, they were 0 and 3 in 2000, finished 9 and 7. They've been 0 and 3 12 times in their history. They've never made the playoffs. So they're already battling history a little bit and they'll have to bounce back and, and try to make history and get to the postseason despite this 0-3 start. So let's swing things around a little bit and talk about, I guess, the positive we can take from the game, and that was the defense, which had its issues at times as well, but I think overall had a pretty solid game. The five turnovers obviously stand out, although some of those were as much mistakes by San Francisco than anything. But um, when you look at this defense and what they did on Sunday. Let's start with Micah Fitzpatrick. He's obviously the big new addition. He didn't have that much practice time leading up to this game, and he made his mark, Eddie. The interception, he forced a fumble both in the first half. He's This is a random stat, but he's the first Steeler to do that in a half since James Harrison in 2008. <laughs> uh, Fitzpatrick also had five tackles in the game as well. I mean, they thought they were bringing in an impact player, and he made an impact. So I guess that move, you mentioned the first-round pick and not having that now, but at least Fitzpatrick, through one game, looks like he's a pretty good fit. Yeah, beautiful start by him. Um, as you mentioned, uh, on, what, three practices before that, um, that that was uh, as good a start as you could expect from him. He's a good player. Uh, I was never against him. I just, I don't. I didn't like the fact they gave up a first-round pick. I, I'm sorry. I just, uh, 
you know, I, I don't like that. But, hey, it worked out in the first game. Maybe it will work out for his career here. Um, and the defense does look a whole lot better. You know, uh, we used to call uh, the offense the killer bees, and it wound up kill me please yesterday. Um, but uh, the, the defense may be a killer defense. I mean, they're coming up with turnovers. You know, uh, they, I think they only had, what was it, 15 total last year, and they had five yesterday. Yeah. So um, th- this is, uh, th- that's the, you're right, that's the bright point. Uh, a lot of people wanted to rip the defense for, you know, giving up a touchdown drive. They were out there a long time because the offense couldn't control the ball. Uh, and then they gave up the winning touchdown, yes, but after Connor's fumble in their territory. Yeah, and the fumble is the killer there if it's a short field. Um, they did give up yardage, but you mentioned how much they were on the field. Uh, Garoppolo threw for 277. They gave up 168 on the ground as well. They seemed tired in the second half, which is certainly understandable. You think about the Steelers' offense, not be or a lot of three and outs, and then when they did score in that second half, they ended up being kind of a, a strike-quick offense, which they could have used some some long drives to to just give that defense a rest. Did they seem worn out to you in the second half when you're watching that game in, in the fourth quarter? Because they had, had played pretty well up to then, and it just seemed like they, were, they weren't getting as much pressure on Garoppolo as they had early when they really got to him and beat him up a little bit. A little bit, Tim. Um, I'm surprised he didn't rotate the linebackers a little more. Now they had, you know, not a lot of choice inside, although Tyler Matakevich could have played the Vince Williams role. Uh, I didn't see much of that. And, um, you know, Mark Barron looked – Mark Barron, he has – he's not played well. He looks slower. Um, they had – they gave him the, the job of calling a signal, so he was going to stay in the game. Um they may want to reevaluate that a little bit as they go forward. Uh, I, I thought we'd see Ola in there a little more, Tim, uh, rotating with the two outside guys, uh, Watt and Dupree, but we didn't. Um, you know, uh, Chicolo was down, but they would have used Chicolo. You know, they had all this, uh, uh, all, all this excitement for Ola last year and this year, and they're not using him. You mentioned Barron, and um, you know he's he's supposed to be a speed guy. You said he doesn't look as fast. And then late in the game, he got that holding call in the red zone. Um, you know, you talked about the fumble and how big that was. That penalty was huge too because it kept San Francisco going in that the red zone. It wasn't just Barron um, not making plays, but then that kind of mistake on a key play was huge in the game. Yeah, it allowed them to score the winning touchdown. Um, it was a killer. Uh, you know, otherwise they kick the field goal and it's tied. Uh, it's just, um, you know, another mistake. It looked like he got behind him and he was, uh, he, he, he said after the game he didn't think it was a pass interference, but you look at it, I don't know how many times, it looks like a classic pass interference to me. Yeah, he said it didn't look like a pass interference. Connor said he thought he was down when he fumbled, um, but I think when you look at the yeah. video, they're they're both wrong, and it was definitely right. a fumble, and right. and he definitely made that mistake. So I guess the the big question here, when you look at this as a whole, this this big picture, a team without an identity, a team with a young quarterback who's still trying to get his standing. You have these young receivers and a defense that 
is better but still needs some work to do. What does this team do? How do they improve? How do they come out on Monday? They get an extra little extra practice this week. How do they come out on Monday night against the Bengals and win a football game? Well, they have to be better on offense, Tim. They have, their passing game has to be better. Uh, and it, like I said, it'll get those uh, the Bengals choose to do so, and I wouldn't know why they wouldn't, you know, gang up around the line of scrimmage like the 49ers did. So they're going to have to loosen them up a little bit with the passing game. Now, I've been around long enough to see team, things turn around. Uh, you know, I, I covered that 1989 season when the Steelers opened by losing to Cincinnati, Cleveland and Cincinnati, 92-10 to 10, a total score. They wound up going to the playoffs. They have played two good teams uh, close in the last two games, Seattle and, and on the road in San Francisco. It's not like they the opener where they got blown out. So uh, they, either game could have gone either way. The problem is they are 0-3. Uh, that's the, that's the you know, there are no moral victories here. Uh, you go start 0-3, I think, what's the percentage? 3% of the teams that started 0-3 have gone and made the playoffs. So they need a quick turnaround. The Bengals at 0-3 may help do that at home. Then they get the Ravens at home, and that will, you know, that should tell us a lot, Those the, that game. Yeah, the schedule has been tough, no doubt about that, the, the teams they've played. But the Ravens will be tough, too. The Bengals is obviously a must-win, and I guess they're all must-wins for a while here to, to turn things around. Uh, the good news from a division standpoint is all three teams in the division, other than the Steelers, did lose on Sunday, uh, the Bengals and the Browns and the Ravens, although the Ravens lost at Kansas City and actually looked pretty good losing, if, that, if that's a thing. Um, they look like a very dangerous team. Uh, when you break down this division and look at the teams as a whole, Ed, I think the Ravens have kind of set themselves apart right now as the favorites, although it is early and a lot can change. The Bengals have struggled and obviously will be playing for, for last place with the Steelers on, on Monday night. And the Browns, I can't quite figure out yet. Where do you think, talent-wise, the Steelers at least fit into the mix in that division? I mean, do you, do you think there's a big talent gap between the Ravens and the Steelers, or is it just how they've played so far? No, I don't think there's a big talent gap at all. I mean, the Steelers still have talent. They have a lot of talent. Uh, that's the confounding part of this whole thing. Um, but uh, the Ravens have good balance on offense with Lamar Jackson. Looks like he can throw the ball. They're running the ball. They lead the, the NFL in rushing. They lead the NFL in total offense. Um, it Granted, it's only three games, and granted – they had two at home to start the season, one against the putrid Miami Dolphins uh, <laughs> to pad those stats. But nevertheless, you are, you are right. I watched that game against uh, in Kansas City. That's a tough place to play. That's one of the best teams. A lot of people think they're, go they're going to win the Super Bowl this year, uh, and they played them well. They could have won that game. Um, so, And they have a good defense balance. Um, right now, the Ravens are the team to beat, and the Steelers will get that chance in two weeks. You can't help when watching this offense right now, Ed, think about what could have been. Um, obviously, you mentioned it, the uh, the Killer Bees, and the Killer Bees are gone right now. Um, but it hasn't really worked out for any of them at this point. You look around, Antonio Brown suddenly doesn't have a team. Le'Veon Bell uh, is on a terrible Jets team that is 0-3 and looks much worse off than the Steelers are right now. Um, I mean, 
if these three guys or these three entities, the Brown, uh, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and the Steelers, could have just found a way to continue to coexist, it seems like all of them would be in a better situation right now. Well, for sure. Um, you know, uh, Bell lost a lot of money, and now he's on a team that's not going to any Super Bowl soon. And Brown's out of football, and he lost a ton of money as well. So, uh, and then the Steelers lost their um, their punch on offense. Now, Steelers have lost another killer, being Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. Let's not forget that uh, through no fault of their own. Would those two guys, if they were here, uh, help this team uh, without Ben? Um, you know. Um, uh, technically, yes, but uh, Antonio Brown was not going to go along with the program. That was obvious here. And um, I don't know that Bell would be any better running against those eight-man fronts than James Conner was. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you can only do so much. So Brown lasts 11 days with the Patriots um, from the point of him working his release from the Raiders and then quickly signing with the Patriots. He played one game with them, had the touchdown, looked pretty good, and then the stuff just continues. And, Ed, you've kind of predicted it. It wasn't going to stop. And I think um, the Patriots, like they've done with some players, thought that they could – bring in Brown and the culture would have an effect and he'd kind of step into line and be a guy that fit into that mix. It didn't take long to figure out that he's just not that guy, right? I mean, it. I don't know what's going on there. There's obviously a whole lot of stuff. Um, but not only did he not fall into line as far as letting the past kind of come out more, but he just continued to do things while in New England um, off the field to just create more of an issue. And, and he says he's done with the NFL. I'm starting to feel like the NFL may be done with him. Tim, there's always a coach out there who thinks he can control the player. If I just get him here, I, he can play for me. I can control him. Uh, there, I, I, that's why I think ultimately, I don't know if it's this year or next year, somebody else is going to sign Antonio Brown. But, this puts the end to those conspiracy theories that Brown <laughs> forced his way out of Oakland so he could go to New England and win a Super Bowl. That obviously did not happen. And he's just, it's everybody else's fault. Now, I, I did want to get your take on that because he came out with this Twitter rant on Saturday where he basically... He blamed the Patriots organization for kind of not having his back. He blamed the NFL Players Association before they even have a chance to, to help him uh, reclaim money for not um, going in and helping him get the money that he says he still owed, even though I think if you read the fine print in those contracts, it's pretty clear that doing the things he's done take away the right to that money. Um, but he went on and on on Twitter, basically pointing the blame everywhere, never looking in the mirror I mean, but that's that's him at this point, right? I mean, that's the guy you saw late in his time in Pittsburgh as well. Timmy can't help himself. He just can't. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it would break up in New England the way it did. I thought it would just be, you know, Antonio is never on time for anything. I thought that would be part of the problem. Um, I, I didn't know he would implode the way he did just by using his thumbs on Twitter. 
Yeah, Twitter and sending texts where uh, allegedly sending texts where they shouldn't be going to uh, involving, um, you know, legal things and and everything that's going on with him. Um, It's just can't stay out of the news. So it seems like um, because of what you said, because this seems pretty clear that he did not force his way out of Oakland to get to New England and force his way out of Pittsburgh to get to where he wanted to go. And it really is just a problem where he cannot control himself and he's going to be a problem. It seems like the Pittsburgh side of this saga can finally kind of be closed, even though it was closed from a team standpoint when he left the organization. With this final leaving of New England, it seems like the the Pittsburgh side of the entire Antonio Brown situation is kind of over. Uh, actually, Tim, the Steelers are the only ones who reaped any benefits from him <laughs> this year. They got a third That's and true. fifth round pick. The Raiders got nothing. They lost a third and fifth round pick. The Patriots did get one touchdown from him and, what, four catches in a blowout win. They didn't need him for that. And now they may owe him $10 million. And it's still possible the Raiders owe him all that guaranteed money. We don't know what a what what an arbitrator is going to rule. So um, uh, everybody's a loser in this except the Steelers, although they did have to carry his cap money this year. Uh, you know, the, the charge against the cap, I think $21 million. Um, but but they didn't have to pay him any more money, and uh, they did at least get some draft picks. And I think that Deontay Johnson, one of the picks they got for him, looks like a, a future, um, um, maybe a, even a future star. He, he looks good to me. Yeah, let's end the pod by, by spinning that forward a little bit because Johnson does certainly show flashes, um, and receivers sometimes take a little bit of time. You don't often see receivers in their rookie campaign right away making an impact. He's made an impact. He hasn't been a consistent star, but now he's moving into the spot where he's going to be targeted a lot more. Um, when you say you think he could be a star, what what is it about him? What skills does he show that you like that much that you say he could possibly be a star receiver. He has speed. He has quickness. He adjusts to the football. We saw that in the second game against Seattle where um, Mason Rudolph was supposed to throw one of those back shoulder passes along the sideline, and he was off target and went to the front of uh, Johnson, and he just quickly turned uh, in a in a heartbeat and caught that ball. Um, that and he caught that one yesterday, got behind the defensive back for the 39-yard touchdown. And in that second preseason game at home where he caught one touchdown pass and uh, caught another except it was called back because of pass interference. I thought those two plays, if you look at those two plays, it shows how talented he is. And Mason Rudolph is certainly going to need it. This team needs a lot. They need to turn things around quickly. 0-3 as they head into Monday night against the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to have a full preview of that game coming up on Friday with Mark Caboli on the podcast. That episode will be exclusively available on The Athletic. Of course, this one you could listen to on The Athletic or wherever you get your podcast. But make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing here on The Immaculate Podcast. You also should be subscribing to Ed. Follow him on Twitter, Ed Bouchette. Easy to find him there. Um, And some great insight from Ed as well. We will talk to you again on Friday.